Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. This is Rob Benedict. Richard Spade Jr. right here. We're talking about Season 3, Episode 9. Malleus Maleficarum. Maleficarum. There you go. And hey, before we get started on Malleus Maleficarium, <laughs> if you're new to the podcast, please rate the show or leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Unless you're going to give us a bad review, in which case, keep your reviews to yourself. Five stars, please. Or if you're a longtime listener and just never got around to it, now's your chance. Right. You've been going through your to-do list. Buy milk. Raise children. Earn money. Now time to get to the most important part of that list. Rate, rate. Supernatural Then and Now, That's the podcast. Right. Yep. And then your journey is done. Yep. Um, all, right, all right. Let's get into it. The, the unpronounceable episode. A woman's teeth fall out. It's so gross. It's so gross. That scene is so gross. Man, I, this whole, the whole first half of this episode. There's I, a lot going on. There's real yick in this, It was man. the first time since watching that I had to turn away. Same. I had to, literally had to turn away. A woman's teeth fall out while she's brushing them, and then she soon dies. Boom. End of episode. Good night, everybody. Wow. Sam and and Dean suspect black magic is involved and travel to Sturbridge, Massachusetts. The brothers pose as agents from the CDC and interview her husband, Paul. By the way, who seems very nonplussed about the whole thing, but go on. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with Paul, but yeah, what's he doing in this car eating the sandwich? Okay. He seems (laughs) like he's hiding something. Sam and Dean search around the house and find a hex bag, indicating that witches are involved. Like which spate? And- hey, which spate junior? <laughs> uh, that spate junior. Dean hates witches. While trailing Paul, they save him from nearly dying after eating a maggot-infested burger. Grossest El scene burger. ever. After searching his car, they discover another hex bag and burn it. They discover that he was having an affair with a neighbor, a practicing witch. Isn't that just the luck? I know. You try to have a simple affair with a neighbor. I know. And is it, uh, you know. I know. Somebody from the, you know, ladies uh, organization where they do good works and charities. I know. Why no? I know. It's a witch. And you go, which neighbor? And he goes, that neighbor. You're like, yeah, (laughs) which neighbor? No, that neighbor. The brothers go to visit her and discover her dead body surrounded by satanic paraphernalia. They discern that there must be a coven of witches in town who are using witchcraft to make their suburban lives easier. Ruby shows up and tells them not to pursue anything. She says they should leave town. There's a powerful demon involved who will kill them. Bummer. Sam and Dean interview a group of women who were in the latest Victims Book Club. They don't learn much, but manage to get on their bad side. The brothers head back to the motel. There, Dean suddenly feels an intense pain and starts barfing blood. Ew. Sam doesn't find a hex bag, but grabs the colt and goes to confront the women from the book club. Turns out they are all practicing witchcraft, and the head witch, Tammy, with an eye, is possessed by the demon that Ruby warned them about. Sam tries to shoot her with the colt, but Tammy stops the bullet in midair and telepathically throws Sam up against the wall. She tells Sam there's a new demon leader that wants him dead. Oh, no. Back at the hotel, Ruby arrives and saves Dean a lot of sexual chemistry there. I mean, between me and the TV. I was going to say, what are you, what, which show were you watching? But okay. <laughs> they confront Tammy with an eye, but she's too powerful. Wait, they confronted her with, they confronted her with an eye? Yeah, they had an eye. <laughs> we learn that the demon in Tammy is the one that turned Ruby into a witch centuries ago and imprisoned her soul in hell. Wow. While Tammy is monologuing, one of the women from the book club is able to cast a spell temporarily distracting Tammy, but long enough for Dean to grab Ruby's demon-killing knife and stab Tammy. Like Again, we don't have to do times. a lot of digging to figure out if our producers slash writers like this episode. Not so much with the phrase, while she's monologuing, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the other lady's off doing something else. Uh, later, Ruby tells Dean that all demons used to be human and that hell strips them of their humanity. And this is what will happen to Dean. She says that she is unique and that she's retained some of her memories. So wait, Jared ends up hanging on the wall. Or Jared, Sam. Sam's ha- hang on, hanging on the wall. What happens to Dean? 
he's also hanging on the wall. Then he drops when the witch gets distracted. But wait. I so mean, the demon gets distracted. So Sam's hanging on the wall. And at that time, what, what's Dean doing? Hanging on the wall. So you're saying that Sam and Dean are both hung. <laughs> I just want to clarify what For you're saying. For just a brief minute, at. they're both hung. And then they get stripped of their hung. <laughs> and they drop to the floor. Also, what this doesn't say is that she, what, what Ruby tells Dean she says all demons used to be human, but she also tells him that indeed he is going to die and there's nothing that th- there is to be done about yeah, it. Yeah, he can't do anything about it. I mean, it, it's cute that he thinks he can, but he can't. But the, Well, she had told Sam in a previous episode that maybe he could save him, but it's not no, true. No, that was a bluff. That was just a bluff. <laughs> okay, so I liked the episode. Uh, at first, I thought it was very predictable. I, I, I was predicting things before they happened, but I did not uh, expect the whole demon Part of it, so I thought the, that was ta- really the Tammy part, right? Yeah, the Tammy part. Yeah, Tammy with an eye. Uh, uh, yeah, I also wondered if the animal animal wrangler who brought in the maggots stayed around for the worms in the soil. There was like worms in a soil at one point. I thought, is that the same? They're like, hey, you're here. Let's throw some worms while you're wrangling. Yeah. Could you wrangle some worms? Yeah, I don't know. That's a really good, good question. Thank you, thank you. That's why people uh, listen to this podcast for that kind of stuff? I'm concerned as a as a viewer. I'm concerned about Dean. I really am. I'm starting to get worried. I thought for sure that Ruby would be like, "Yeah, you can. We can save you. You're not going to die." But she's not saying it, man. We don't have many episodes left in this season. No, I think this is the last uh, season of the show, buddy. I think he dies. Man, um, I could have sworn that I was on the show. So, hold on. It's time for R, R, R. Rob and Rich Review. Review. If you spell it out, it's, or if you say it like it's spelled, it's R. Let's get into the review. It's funny. Man, there's not a writer on the planet I love more than Ben Edlin. There's not a director on the planet I love more than Bob Singer. Yeah. This still isn't my favorite episode. Okay. You know, it's funny. It didn't have the usual Ben Edlund, deeply rooted comic spin that I was uh-huh. that I've come to love. Yeah. In this episode. There were a couple moments. The 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 witches were kind of funny for a second. hundred percent. The fact that they were all suburban housewives. That whole. Yeah. That, I liked the episode. It's just usually the Ben Bob or the Ben Phil combos are are just elevated beyond. And I would say Home this runs. is a very 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 solid episode. Very good episode, but not right. Ben Edlundian mm-hmm. uh, as much as the other ones. Yeah, I'd say uh, you know normally it's a home run with him. This was a base hit. Just a single, huh? Wow. Well, yeah, maybe a double. Still a base. I was going to say I don't think it's a single, man. I think you know if, if Ghost Ship is a complete whiff strikeout, this yeah. is definitely more than a single. It's a double. All right, it's not a triple. No, I'll go with you then. It's a double. But we, but double means nothing to our fans because we don't rate these shows with baseball terminology. True. We do it by beards. True. By facial hair growth. So you need to tell me, oh, no. in, facially speaking, uh-huh. what's your rating? Um, I got to think about it. I got to think about it a little bit. You know what I mean? Like I said, I like the demon stuff. I agree with you that it wasn't like it took me a while to get into it. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, so there was some stuff missing, but the but the demon stuff is very strong. So in the same way, I think the in the village people, the guy with the mustache, I think he might have been the construction worker. If I had a nickel for every time you started a sentence with in the village people. A really strong mustache that, that looped down on the sides. It was a very strong mustache, but it wasn't a beard. That's what I'm going to give it. So Rob's giving it a village people mustache. mustache. You're not talking about the mustache over the big nose. You're talking about an actual mustache. All right. I'm giving it to George Michael. I'm giving it a, a oh, wow. full but groomed, yeah. you know, stubble, almost yeah. beard. Not quite yeah. beard, actually. George Michael kind of rocked that sort of almost Homer Simpson-esque sort of. Yeah, no, it was almost like a paste on uh, Yeah, it looked beard. drawn. Yeah. It was, uh, but it was thick and All full right. okay. and dark. All a right. lot to like about that George Michael beard. Hey, there's a you know I don't tell you Rob. There's a lot a lot to love about that construction worker's mustache. I mean, but, yeah, he was always my favorite. So Robbie goes with the village people mustache, and I go with the George Michael beard. That's our review today here on R R R. Now, Rob and Rich review, and uh, now it's time for the interview portion. But we do we have anybody to interview, Rob? We sure do. We have a returning guest to the podcast who is a longtime friend of ours. He worked as an assistant director for all 15 seasons of the series, and the cast and crew endearingly think of him as a walking encyclopedia of knowledge about the series. Please welcome once again, Kevin Parks. Kevin Parks. Hi. Hi, buddy. Dude, thanks for, thank you for being here. 
for being a part of this. Of course, no one knows more about Supernatural than Kevin Parks. Well, I think Eric Kripke for the first five seasons could be no more, but... No, I'm going to go... I Without without Eric here to, to lobby his own defense here, I'm still going to go with you. Okay. For for starters, I'd love for you to help us pronounce the name of this episode. Maleficent Malficarium. Malicious Malficarium. I hope Trey Booty puts like some reverb on that because that's uh, ominous. All right, and, and you know your Latin. What does that mean? Uh, in Latin, I have no idea. I never looked that one up. It, it was our witch episode. It was the first time we brought witches really into the, episode yeah. into the series. Oh, this is the first time. Okay, cool. I looked it up. Our producer sent us a, a pr- pronunciation guide, and uh, it was uh, it had had to do with like a passing of a law, either for or against witches. Maybe later on in the in the mythology section of our podcast, we'll, we'll dive out. into it. But yeah. yeah, well, listen, Rob and I haven't talked about this episode, uh, Gavin. I'll just say that right now. Sorry, fans, we're doing the interview before we we actually have. If yeah, you're if you've watched the episode, but, but the interview was going on before that. It's a gross one, man. Like it's a really gross episode, dude. Uh, right out of the gate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Were you? Was there like a maggot wrangler for the maggots? Are those sag maggots. We had to bring the animal wrangler in for it for for the bugs. But yeah, you know, I was surprised how many people were actually grossed up by maggots. I mean, it's, they're as long as they're you know, people didn't like seeing them on set. It's like really. There's, there's no, I think it's great that finally oh. somebody is standing up for the maggots, and it's Kevin Parks. <laughs> I'm I'm going to go with I'm one of the people kind of grossed out by the maggots. I'm not a big maggot oh, fan. Oh, so Robbie, gross. maggots. Oh, I mean, oh, I made the mistake of eating. Oh, while I, I would do. I did too. I was having a bite of food, yeah, and first the woman's ripping out her teeth. And then the maggots. I'm like, good lord, forget it. Yeah. Never mind. They, they weren't real maggots in their mouths, but when it's cut together, it can be really gross, especially the POV of them in the sandwich and everything. You know, every so it's awful. Oh, I mean, look, yeah. look, we're leaping to maggots. We're 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 just flying right over the pulling out our own teeth. Like it, that, that was horrific. Oh. It was so gross. I was genuinely. This is definitely, Kevin, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. It seems like the grossest Bob Singer episode to date. Yeah, it would be up there for the for the, for the the visuals of the maggots and people eating them and all the other stuff going to be the probably the grossest one, yes. Yeah, and it's... At- and so you just, so you you do have to bring an animal wrangler in yes. for the maggots. That's, that's oh, yeah, no, no joke, right? Yeah, we have to bring an animal wrangler for it. You know, I mean, it's somebody who specializes in insects and bugs. It's not the normal dog and animal one. It's it's, it's just going to be the special yeah. specialization in insects. I had to do that once uh, for an, a different episode of television, and it's it's a it's it's a, the real deal. Like they they you, you, they don't want to kill any of them. You know what I mean? And they're very very careful. So about wait, it. were you being wrangled, or you're saying you were on a show where? I'm always being wrangled. But was there a Benedict Wrangler? I, I, specifically? I did an episode of The Mentalist where I killed someone by throwing them into this barrel of flesh-eating. Uh, why do I? Because I was a bad oh, guy. I hope they got you yeah. in the end and shot you in the yeah. face. Always. Kevin, sticking on the Wrangler thing, because it's really trippy. I don't think people who are outside the industry realize that, that even for insects or maggots, there's a specific department head, like a Wrangler for that kind of thing. How does that play out? I mean- you you read the script. Obviously, you're heavily involved in all that, you know, getting all that going. How do you find that person, a maggot person? Well, I mean, through our animal trainer we we use on Supernatural, I mean, we're always able to find somebody who does insects. There are not a lot of people in Vancouver who do insects. Uh, and, you know, we talk, we, they give us the name, we get them, tell them, you know, have a meeting with them, and we basically tell them how many maggots we need, and they start they start actually breeding them. Because it's just like there's not... oh. Yeah, I mean they're they're larvae, so they mean they have to they have to start with somewhere, and they have to basically they you don't just get pull them out of anything. So those aren't right. those aren't full grown flies in in maggot suits. Those are those are legit maggots. Yeah, they're literally I, maggots. They, you know, they give them a time frame when you need them, and they basically back time that when they have to start actually making them or you know breeding them. Well, dude, I'm talking about schedule yeah. being specific. I mean, if you're off that mark by a day, suddenly you're going to have a sandwich full of flies. Basically, yeah. Oh, my God. There's another scene in this episode where Sam and Dean get pinned to the wall. Can you tell our listeners like how something like that is accomplished? What's holding them up there on the wall that's not magic? Well, that's a set piece. So on the set piece, we plan out where they're going to be on the wall. And then we start drilling uh, holes in the wall and put cables through. And then they're on a harness, which you guys know how comfortable those harnesses are, right? So they put them in a, full, oh, yeah. uh, a body harness. And we uh, string them up on the wall. And I, I, I don't even know how you raise them up on a wall without hitting the ceiling. He's so darn long. Well, we well our sets are, are, aren't normal eight foot ceilings. They're ten foot ceilings, <laughs> yeah, so we get a little bit of Jared. Of course, Jared liked to play around like yeah. he was some kind of marionette puppet. So that was always making more fun. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this: Was that whole that whole kitchen set 
was uh, set. I mean, there was none of that was was, lo- was the location. The there was well, there, the whole kitchen set itself was an actual house. Okay. It, we didn't build. It, we built the living room part of it, but we we used the house in South Surrey for the kitchen portion. But mm-hmm. wasn't okay. But wasn't in, in South Surrey in the kitchen part? Isn't that where the standoff of the witch took place? Like, isn't that where the, some of the fighting was? Or am I? Am I? Do I have the, my location screwed around? Um, like, I, I thought know. they fought. I think the, the I think the fighting was in like okay. the they, they, they come in the living room. But the, it was the living room was where the big fight where they get pinned to the wall and everything. Gotcha, gotcha. Because we had to yeah, build that for the whole beginning yeah. of the episode too, for all the seance and all this, you know, the conjuring of the devil, really, or the demon. Yeah, yeah. And so the witches are using that uh, the Latin to you know when they're doing their spells. Is there when they do that? I'm sure our listeners would like to know, is there like an ancient evil language advisor on yeah, set? We had, a, we had a Latin translator at UBC that we sent things off to. Uh, and uh, really? in, the, in the first season, he, he had actually come to set because we didn't uh, we didn't know how much we'd have to do. Uh, and right. he would help. He would help with the Latin pronunciations. We sent it. We sent everything off to him. He would go and um, translate it for us. We'd bring and do a DVD for the cast who were doing the Latin. And then he would come on set. I think it was all, wasn't it Romanian we were doing in that episode. I think it was Romanian. It could have been. It could have been. Yeah, it's uh, all Romanian right. to me. <laughs> But we then we have the, it was you know the, he would come and help them do the pronunciations you know oh, later latter seasons when we wow. when we got into like you know past season five you know our Latin translator would yeah. just send us a DVD and, and that would all be he wouldn't bother coming to set anymore so that was that was right. him doing a little phonus it in us you yeah. know what I'm saying just just hey. uh, <laughs> yeah well he yeah, what what is it with a, a tidbit is Jared was actually very good at Latin he took Latin in school right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's a he's a brainiac. People don't realize that about him. He's a he's a real he's a super yeah, very very smart, very smart so man. Like the, the the our Latin uh, basically he the guy has a doctorate in Latin or ancient languages. Uh, he was really surprised at how well Jared spoke Latin. It was uh, he's a long haired yeah. man, smart est. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Harem Longham. Yeah. Yeah, but no, in those that in the the first season, like, and this was in season three. uh, Late to set, late to uh, set to set. Yeah, the guy would come out and set, but later on he got bored of coming to set. So we just, he just sent DVDs later on. That's, that's, you know, that's kind of a, I'm not sure I like the tone of this uh, language guy. Like being bored (laughs) coming to set. That's an exciting set. A lot of people, a lot of our listeners would kill to come to that set. They would have pretended to be language experts just to show up on that set. That guy's, too too cool. What other sets are yanking him over to do Latin translations? I, yeah. I think he should be thanking the groundus that uh, you know he had an opportunity to do it. <laughs> Jeez Louise. I feel like that by the time Ruth Connell, who played Rowena, that by the time she got to set, it was just like I don't think, yeah, own. I don't think they had anybody for a lot of years. I mean, certainly anything we did. They did I think anything. some like season five onward, we never had the Latin, the language people come down on set. We just That's said, why Jared yeah. was there. Otherwise, huh. they were going to get rid of his character. But he yeah. knows Latin, so you really can't. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if they went something different, like you know, you know, Polish or some other ancient language or something, then we brought somebody on set for the one-off kind of thing. But the Latin stuff usually it, it, after season five, we just sent a DVD out. And by the way, I like the fact wow. that, and this is—I thought it was Rob improvising, but no, it's it's calling it an ancient evil language. Much to the chagrin of the Romanians who are listening to yeah. our program today. I'm not sure yeah. evil is how they describe their language. Um, hey, so you had Katie Cassidy. Uh, you obviously had worked with her before. Yes. Because she'd been on the set. So what was it like working with Katie? Was she, because uh, she was a pretty strong recurring character there for a while. Kim Manners did a great job of directing her in season three to help bring it out. And then, uh, you know, Bob, you know, Bob also added all that too. Yeah. It brings up a good point. So Bob Singer directed this episode. How How is your job different when Bob or Kim would direct an episode versus a guest director there for the first time? Right. And just to put a pin on what Rob's saying or a finer point, he means like an executive producer, right? Like the producing director, the big cheeses, the co-showrunners. When they come in to direct, how does that affect what you do and how it all gets done? They already know the show and the lore, so there's not much of like bringing the, uh, the guest directors up to speed on what's going on and how you know how that affects other episodes from the past there's a lot more filling in with with kim and, and bob it was like they already knew what was going on they already had their their background so it was basically just helping make sure it was more logistics of getting everything going that we had to get done gotcha gotcha oh, yeah wow, okay cool i would think that like there, there so, would be a shorthand and i assume there is or was even between you and bob and you and kim like at this point 
You're all you're all part of the original gangsters. You're three seasons in, or you're two and a half seasons in. When Bob comes to direct episode, and you do you start to get his style? Like, I mean, obviously everything he does is new and fresh, but do you start to say, well, I know I have a pretty good handle on how Bob is going to handle this scene. Just so for people who don't know, one of Kevin's many tasks is timing each scene to allow the right amount of time for each sequence. And so was that easier to do with these guys whose work you understood and knew? With Bob, with Bob and, and even Phil, I put Phil into that, too, because he was he was our recurring, you know, post post supervisor director yeah. as well. Yeah, no, I mean, you yeah. go through and you tell me, you know, you have this much time. This is where we got to be. And they 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 were very aware of what had to get done in a time frame. Uh, guest directors still want to try, as you guys know, you know, Rich is a guest director. You got to get as much as you can to make it look the best possible. Yep. You know, you know, the mm-hmm. executive producer directors, they know where they can cut corners a bit if they're running out of time. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I had this conversation a lot. When somebody comes onto a show and shadows the producing director, that's a bad idea because... Producing director is going to be able to do stuff that the rank and file guest director is not going to get away with, you know? Right. Um, I think it's if you're somebody who lives in the house, you're a regular director on the show, you're going to be able to go, ah, I'm not going to do the Benedict close up in this scene, you know, because of blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to see for the wide. And then you get to the next scene, you go, you know what? We're just going to cut Rob out of this. There's no reason for him to be here. Send him home. Well, and they just send him home. Exactly. There's a, there's that they can get away with that. Where if it's written in the page, you kinda, as a guest director, you kind of have to do your best to, to get it, and, unless you run out of time or something else happens. I mean, as as we go through the, the, the scene, it, uh, it can easily get an idea how much extra coverage and what they need to get done. And then there's you know come up. It's like coming talking to Bob and Kim was and Phil was okay. Well, we're running out of time. Do you want to trim something here? Do you want to try and move something around? Is there a close up we can move to a stage wall or something we can do? Not we're not going to get here. Uh, and with those guys, they they can make those decisions. Where with the guest directors, you know, and Rich, you can jump in any time here. Is basically if you don't get it that day, chances of getting it again are not are not going to happen. And it's going to reflect on you in a different negative way. Yeah, I would say, and I know, Kevin, you've directed as well. The there's a, there's a lot of pressure to be sure that you get all the pieces because you don't live there. You're not going to be hanging around the next week. You know, you're going to wrap up, at least for me, Kevin, you'd go back to first ADing and me, I'd get on a plane and be out of there. So anything I don't get, I don't get. And and I answer to a higher power in the yes. form of Bob Singer and Phil Segrisha and wh- whoever the showrunner at the time was. So there's a lot, there, there is that pressure of you, A, you don't get to make those decisions and B, if you get behind in time or that just gets made for you for whatever reason, somebody, your phone's going to ring. You know, yeah. they're, you're going to go like, what happened? Where's that? Yeah. Or, or the phone's not going to ring and they go, they screwed up and then it's never going to ring ever again. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I like that, Rob. <laughs> Kevin, is, are there any uh, times with new directors and uh, who are a little more green that you as assistant director have to go, hey, you're going to owe this, like you still have to have this shot, kind of help them with what they still owe, in other words, what they still need to shoot in that scene? Oh, definitely, as we're going through the coverage, and it's like we're going to start turning around, go do go other versions. It's like, well, you haven't got that guy over there yet. You haven't got that one. Right. Are you right. planning on another version of that somewhere, or what's what's your right. plan for that? You know, once we turn right. around, we're not going to want to relight. Yeah. Right. Or you need you need an insert of this pencil sharpener or yeah. whatever. So yeah, have you got it? exactly? You know, just right. as the AD who's been planning it, you've gone through the script lots of times, so you know the little bits of what you know. What do you, what are the ones you need to get? What are the real important ones? Do you really need that? You don't need that insert here, or we can get that anytime. That's that can be done at any time later. So that's that's part of your job anyway. Even with the more with the Bob Singer who may have just like has so many things on his mind that he might have forgotten that. You you would say that to him as well. Oh yeah, definitely. I I didn't really have much of a filter about whoever was there. It's like okay, we can if we're not going to get it here, we can re you know, thinking in my head, we can recreate certain things somewhere else. We can't recreate the location behind their head, but we we can right. we can recreate the floor or a wall. Right. You know. Did you ever get any pushback? Not obviously from the veterans, but young new directors, I should say, not necessarily young directors, new directors who might go, I got it, I got it, I got it. And they simply don't got it. Like, and you can tell they don't got it. And the train's running off the tracks there. Uh, yeah, that's happened. That happened a few times in Supernatural. Uh, yeah. I won't recommend, I won't say them to the who they were, but it definitely, it's like they were trying to do their own little movie or their own version of it. It's like, well, you're missing some key stuff here. You know, um, you are you only going to stick with that shot? Okay, uh, what about this, this, and this? Yeah. Ahoy. 
Rich Spade here. Hope you're enjoying the episode, but we got to pull over for a second for some messages. You can sense it calling out to you. New reality seeks you. Join the journey to save Anomaly. Place where sound is magic. The only way to enter the world is by looking inward. Along the way, you'll learn potions, chants, and enchantments that will help you both in that reality and yours. So, answer the call and let your campaign begin. Featuring the voices of Ruth Connell from Supernatural and Dead Boy Detectives. There are ordeals ahead, yet with guidance, you will face them head on without fear. Todd Stashwick from Star Trek Picard and Twelve Monkeys. When the time arrives, wherever your journey takes you, be there with no attachments. And R&B singer N.C. Gray. There are worlds, realms, dimensions, and realities beyond yours. Anomaly is a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. The goal of guided fantasy role-playing meditations are to help you cultivate a sense of wonder, curiosity, balance and joy in your inner world. Role-playing meditation is a form of escapism and relaxation, as well as a creative outlet for the imagination. The first campaign is an introduction to the world of Anomaly, its lands, magic and secrets. In the eight chapters, you'll stretch your imagination, learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, relieve stress and stop racing thoughts. Your true self will emerge, allowing you to manage your goals and dreams without confusion, distrust or self-doubt. You can find it on Spotify, Apple and wherever you listen to podcasts. Or visit SeekAnomaly.com to learn more. Anomaly spelled with an I-E, not a Y. Seek Anomaly. Hear its magic. Thanks for supporting Supernatural then and now. And now, back to the show. I remember, you know, Parks had a good one on me. I don't know. I always give you grief about this one, Kevin. It was classic. It was like my third episode directing. And I didn't work with Kevin until several episodes in because I'd gotten teamed with Johnny Mac and then Gabe. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think, I, I think I did like three episodes before you and I were ever actually doing an episode together. Yeah. And it was one we were doing in the church and I got behind doing my teaser and was trying, it was spent my lunch staying on set, trying to figure out how I was going to truncate my afternoon to make up for the time that I spent in the morning. And Kevin walked in, you were prepping with another director. So you walked in with whomever was up next. You're walking around and you go, how's it going? I'm like, oh yeah, you know. And of course, you know, because you're following the times and you go, yeah, I know. I'd say you're about half hour away from being supremely f***ed. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, Kev. Yeah. Thanks for that. A, Good luck. Professional term. As he patted me on the back and walked off. Yeah, well, certain people like you, I, 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 I could say that too. I mean, other. Oh, it was great, man. Say, yeah, lo- lovingly <laughs> so. But but you but you. I, mean, I was just sitting in that room by myself, just you know, sweating bullets, trying to figure out what I was going to do with the afternoon, how to untangle it. That yeah. uh, was funny. So, in the climax of this episode, you have six people in a room and a fight. In that the what? In the what of this episode? In the climax. Ah, uh, nice. Okay, so you have six <laughs> people in a room and there's a fight. That must have been a huge blocking challenge. Uh, yeah, it is. It's always, and especially in a small space. I mean, you know, once you put six people into a set, even if it's if it's a large space, we would consider large. Six people is is a challenge. It's a challenge. Yeah. And you guys had um, this is pre this is before the days of pre-vising. So when you're getting into something like this, Lou Bolo, who would have designed this fight. So pre-visualizations, for those who don't know now, stunt teams will shoot their version of the fight using an iPhone or something, but but it'll be pretty shot specific. You'll have a really good idea of all the elements of the fight and everyone will have seen it visually before you go to shoot it. They, they weren't doing that then, right? 
we weren't doing that until we got Rob Hader. I mean, the right. other shows were pre-vising. You know, a lot of the superhero stuff were doing pre-vis and stuff, but we didn't do any pre-vising until uh, like season 13 or 14, probably whenever Rob came into the series. Lou basically did a kind of a, a prose version of what the fight would be. And gotcha. he'd have the stunt people come in and you, you know, they, they would rehearse the rehearse with the, the, the doubles what's, what the fight would be. And then we would basically have the doubles come in in a blocking show or show the, the principles what the fight would be. And then we'd go from there. Now, how did that work for you in terms of timing? Uh, a good guess, you know, but you know, there's a, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you six people in a fight, you know, it's going to take probably eight hours to do and all this stuff that have to do, especially when we had to go and hang Jared and Jensen, um, you know, with, with the other the killing of all the other people in there. Um uh, yeah, it's just it's 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 a good guess in terms of how many I go over the page count and the, how many casts are in it, and I add a couple extra numbers and make it make an hour hour of it all. You know. Yeah. You know, and I can yeah. I can go through and count the beats. Each beat's going to be at least two or three shots, so you go through that, and then you do the, I see. the obligatory wide shot for either side. So interesting. Right. That, yeah. I, cool. I mean, you, you look at that scene when you kind of know how it's all made. You look at that scene like that, and you're like, "Ooh, that was a day." Yeah. Um, I also felt sorry for the one actress, the one witch who's like the the nicer witch who was just in the background for the entire sequence. Yeah, yeah. She just by the fireplace. So, oh man, that poor thing, just hanging out, no lines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but you know what? Overtime, that, Robbie. Overtime. Like, that's true. Yeah. But she's like, she turned away from the action. Even it's like the back of her head. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's I, tough. Yeah, no, there's there, there's a couple of people like that. Which just kind of like you know, it's like there's why are they here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. That's like when you when you get to be a more veteran actor, you start making suggestions like, I think I would go sit in the other room. During this. It, it was funny. Jared and Jensen would always say that, like, hey, I think yeah. if that wolf comes through that door, I'd probably skedaddle over to that sitting area. <laughs> yeah, and I remember the first time he they would say that, I'm like, what? Why would you? Oh, okay, right, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're not putting me in the background of that of that shot for just the sake of putting me in the background. I, I, I I'm over here. I'm off that camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so the writer's strike was looming when this episode was shot. No, right, no horseback riding for anybody for a good chunk of time. Yeah, that's that's right. And also uh, the written word. Oh, a writer's yeah. strike. But, right. Yeah. There you go. Uh, and 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 once again, we're on the precipice of another writer's strike right here in 2023. Yeah, but, man. Uh, isn't that ironic? I thought that as I was reading that question. Yeah. Um, but uh, do you remember the conversations about how that would impact the season? Uh, at this point in time, it, w it was looming, but it wasn't really in the forefront. But because this was done, this episode, I think, was shot in September. And by by the November and November, that's when the writer strike started. So we still had a couple months to go. We're not sure. And, and negotiations hadn't really hadn't really been going very far yet. Uh, right. With all the with all the buildup of what was happening, it, was, it became more prevalent in the October time. I see. How did that play out when when the strike was imminent? Were you like, all right, well, we got to call it. This is we got to end the season here. But we, yeah, we basically it was it was coming up to Christmas time. We finished mm -hmm. off Kim's episode, um, and basically, you know, said we're shutting down because the writers are striking, and we'll get back to you when we're going to come back. And then that was three months later. Wow. And did you did you finish? I mean, we haven't watched it, so we don't know. But did you finish telling the story? We finished Kim's episode. We finished Kim's episode. Yeah. Uh, and then basically, what had to, what happened in the post of the strike because we had a limited time. Limited episodes coming through. I think that episode that season only had, I think, seventeen episodes come through or fifteen episodes. Uh huh. Uh, they had to change the overall arc of all the characters. Right. So there were some so episodes they, that were basically thought of to be done that weren't done. You know that would got stink, it. Rob. If you finally got that recurring role on a show that year, oh, and then man. You're like, hey, or you're gonna about, do, uh, you're gonna do, you're gonna do the last seven, and then you're yeah. Like, oh. yeah. Or how, how about like you're a new writer and you're like, all right, we're giving you episode eighteen. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's it, all it, you. Basically, what, when we when we broke when we broke for the break, uh, the, the breaking and, and you know, for Christmas and the strike, it came up that you know when we came back, they had to figure out how to truncate the season to still make sense for finishing off where they wanted to finish off. Right, right. Wow, amazing. That's that's Easy like time. complex things going on, man. Yeah. Can't believe we're back there again. Yeah, I know. exactly. They're talking about the same things again. It's like, okay, didn't we yeah. didn't we learn the first on in two thousand eight or actually nineteen ninety eight as well? It was that that was my first time I had a writer's yeah. strike. Everybody has to get uh, a little bit of a shake up every now and then. Everybody, yeah. like you know, this the, you know. I guess I guess I won't get into it, but it feels like uh, feels like the time is nigh. 
for something dramatic. Yeah, something needs to be done, uh, but it's just hard to go through. Well, it's, yeah. it's, it's a shame we have to go to a, the point of a strike to actually make make the change, as opposed to guys. Just can you make a make up a plan now and not go on strike? Agreed. Yeah, it's a real shame. Yeah. One last question, uh, Ben Edlund. Speaking of writers, notice I said writers, not writers. <laughs> Writer. Um, uh, he wrote this episode. Did he ever come up? Was he in town in Vancouver for this? No, he he only ever came up when he directed. Uh, he yeah, okay. or the part or, or the He's, uh, he, yeah, he didn't even come for the rap parties. No, he only he only came when we directed. Knew, the writers, the writers actually never really came up. Yeah, uh, in most of the season, some toward the end they started coming up, but no, the writers never really yeah. showed up on set. Yeah, I remember Bob Barons came. Um, Eugenie came. Eugenie would yeah. be there, yeah, because her husband had something to do with the show as well. Yes, Eugenie the. The, the blushing bride of Robert Singer. Yeah, that's right. Eugenie Ross uh, Lemming. Um, that's right. Yeah, but it, I, it, well, it wasn't a, a common thing to have the writers up there. I, and I think that's, at the time, it seemed normal. Now that I've worked on so many other shows, that's that's not the huge. Usually there are writers around. But uh, yeah, there's always a writer's representative. The last the things I've all done, there's always been some version of a writer on set to yeah. either give you know their notes or actually what the big thing is on which I don't know if you experienced this is the uh, the video tab going to everywhere on the internet. So oh they, yes, we did that on Lucifer. We did that on Lucifer. Yeah, so they, they so the writer writers and showrunners can log into it and watch what's being done on set on at home in L.A. Yeah. Oh wow! Okay, wow. Yeah, you know, we never had that That's on Supernatural, but it's uh, that was the norm. As soon as I got onto Firefly Lane and to upload, uh, I called it God Vision. But you know, God Vision is going out to everybody. Right. Wow. That's a trip. Yeah. It's wow. like closed circuit TV. So yeah. then, you know, on Firefly Lane, I mean, the directors, they had an iPad next to them on the, on their monitors and they were getting notes from everybody watching on the, wow. at, at the moment of. That sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. So then, you know, great. unlike Supernatural, where we didn't, I mean, even, even before Supernatural, all the stuff I worked on, it, once you once you set off to film, um, you were a ship set out to sea that was basically, you're doing your own thing, you come back and hopefully you have an episode. Uh, you know, it worked. I mean, like, I, I know that I, I realized the power of the writer and the benefit of having them on set is tremendous. You, it actually helps you as the director, especially if you're a guest director, which I always am. It helps you color within the lines because there's somebody saying, oh, be sure to get that. Or actually, this should feel a little more blah. And you're like, oh, OK, cool. I was thinking of something yeah. else. So it does. It is a benefit. But for Supernatural, you know, it, it's hard to argue with the recipe because it sure, it sure worked. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of things that I would bring up, you know, for running late, it's I'd go to the writers now and say, "We're running. Can we change this? Can we do that?" I would just make the suggestion on the fly. Of, you know, it doesn't really affect the overall story, so can we trim that and just move on? And I'll, I'll, you know, ask for forgiveness later. Right. Yeah, I also remember Jared and Jensen occasionally would go, "I'm not saying that." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> what are you gonna say? Nothing. I'm gonna look at him. He's gonna nod. That's what we do for the Winchesters. All right. Well." Yeah. You would know, so go go do it. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. And and towards the end, you know, they'd put in a call into the writers and be like, "Hey, you know, let's work this out." Uh, right? Occasionally, they, they would. That was a very rare occasion, and nobody ever questioned Jared and Jensen on changing the dialogue. But I mean, how many times were you guys on the show? Did you actually change a line here and there to actually make more sense? Yeah, you sure. do that occasionally. You kind of keep it a, a living, breathing yeah. organism. Has now, to sort of, you know, now it's uh, the writers watching and everybody's over there. It's like you got to get permission to change something slightly. Yeah. And no one, no one knows their, those characters as, as well as Jensen and Jared. So, yeah, yeah. you can't argue with Except that. Except for maybe, just maybe, Kevin, Kevin Parks. Parks. <laughs> exactly. Kevin, thanks so much for being here, man. I Come really on. appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, this is Jeffrey Dean Morgan. We are going to take a quick break. Hey, guys, it's Rob. So check this out. I'm very pleased to announce that we have a new super sponsor. That's right. Marvel Strike Force. So Marvel, the one and only Marvel, has a mobile game. And it's a comic book fan's dream. Marvel Strike Force, it's a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. So, okay, so your goal is to power up your favorite characters and you complete missions and then you unlock on stuff like gear and other resources and then you beat other players in a pvp player versus player mode such as alliance war or real-time arena so as we as i record this they're enjoying their six-year anniversary so you know what that means free stuff 
free stuff just for signing up via the unique link in the description. So the anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. So make sure you log in every day, each week. You take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code for every new user, so please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. All right. Thanks once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc hey it's jeffrey d morgan again welcome back to the podcast well it's great to talk to kevin eh yeah Dude, there's no, I'm not kidding. There's nobody who knows more about the show than Kevin Bartz. Hey. Do you realize he was quoting details about the shooting schedule from 15 years ago? I know. There was no question we asked where he's like, I don't remember that. We're like, man, that must have been a tough day that day that you shot the fight. He's like, oh, it was. But we had a 5 a.m. call. and uh, <laughs> Winds out of the Northeast at about uh, 10 miles an hour. You know, we shot interestingly, this in did you see that scene where they're walking to the car out of a house? And they're just getting pelted with pelted. Rain. Nobody's even trying to stop the rain. They're nah. probably like, "Oh, the rain's so bad. Let the boys yeah. get wet." Bob Singer said, "Let them get wet." Yeah. Bob famously bellowed. Yeah. Um, and then they get in the car and they're dry as bones. <laughs> they're yeah. literally dry oh, totally. as bones. You know what Jensen told me the other day, and I don't know if we talked about this. I feel like we did talk about it when he was on the podcast, but because I told him I was like, "It's we're so we're laughing a lot at how much it rains on you guys," and he said in the first season in one of the rain days they gave him umbrellas i think were you in the room when he was telling me this they yeah and they and then umbrellas. kim manners said no eric Sam and Dean don't wear umbrellas eric kripke eric kripke called because eric kripke was was uh, very involved as he is on the boys now like he will call and be like it's coming from kripke it's coming from god and he's like Jim and Dean don't, they don't wear umbrellas. They, they you know, they're- uh, I guess know, they, use they, umbrellas. We're not saying they were wearing umbrella hats, but yeah, yes. They yeah. were wearing umbrellas. They, they fight demons. Uh, it was, it was, it was a big deal. Like never again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's uh, get in some mythology. Mythology, mythology, mythology. Okay. So what is Malleus Maleficarum? Originally published in 1486, it was considered the complete compendium of demonology and witchcraft. Good, because I had a sort of a partial compendium of demonology and witchcraft. Glad to know where I can finally get the complete guide. Yeah, I had the complete works of Shakespeare, but I never had the witchcraft. Hmm. The title translates to Hammer of the Witches. Of the what? Witches. Like Witch Bay Jr.? That's Bay Jr. Supposedly, (laughs) the author wrote it to prove witchcraft was true and tried to explain why most witches were women. Wait, witchcraft? Thatcraft. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) The book recommended torture to get confessions out of accused witches and encourage those guilty to be burned at the stake. Oh, man. It sounds like just a women-hating thing. It just Yeah, seriously. The book was condemned by the Catholic Church for its unethical procedures and for conflicting with the Church's doctrines on demonology. I got news for you. If you got the hierarchy of the Catholic Church yeah. accusing your book of being unethical, dude, you're deep in the muck. It's bad news, man. <laughs> like, if news. they are looking down their nose at you, yeah. And those people let a lot of crap slide. Yeah. Holy macaroni. Yeah, this guy was a jerk, this author. Uh, it was originally published in Latin. English translations can be found at your local bookstore or on Amazon. Of course, okay. of course, it was originally written in Latin because the guy's a pompous jerk who yeah. was like, well, most people read Latin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's one of those guys. Like you just Well, guess spam. what? 
Dave or whoever wrote this thing. His name is I won't Dave. be reading it. It was Dave. No last name. Uh, why don't you tell him about hex bags, Rich? Hex bags. The word hex comes from Germany and means to be witch. And every day I am witch. I wake up, I'm witch. Check myself at lunch and I'm still witch. And then at bedtime I go, yep, I'm witch. So really hex means to be me. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Okay, uh... Yeah, it comes to Germany, it means to be witch or to cast a spell. They typically contain bones, sticks, and men named Herbert. No, wait, herbs that have meaning to the one that they are made for. Hexbag uses typically fall into one of four categories. To protect, to empower, to curse, or to destroy Rob Benedict. Wait, what? Oh, sorry, to heal. I misread that. To wow, heal. Okay. Wow, that's uh, very specific. <laughs> Four <laughs> categories of hex bags. And now it's time for... Fun facts! Fun facts! <laughs> Sam uses the aliases Detective Bachman and Detective Turner. Bachman Turner Overdrive. That's right. These are the names of two members of the 70s rock band, Bachman Turner Overdrive, also known as BTO. Production designer Jerry Wanick has said that the Spanish-looking motel room was inspired by the song... Conquistador by Procol Harum. Do you know that song or that band? I, I know Procol Harum, the band. I do not know Conquistador. Eric Kripke has said on the day he was working with Bed Edlund on the stakeout scene with the burger, that morning he opened his outdoor trash can and there was a dead possum in it and the entire inside of the trash can was covered in maggots. That's he gross. Couldn't stop thinking about it all day, so he asked Ben to put maggots in the scene. Well, there you go. That's gross. It's still gross. It's all gross, but it works. It works yeah. for this supernatural show. Uh, Dean says the address 309 Mayfair Circle when calling in Amanda's dead body. This is likely a reference to Anne Rice's Mayfair Witches. Oh, nice. Sam's research folder has a copy of a local paper called Sherwood Community News. It features an article entitled Craft Corner with Liz Goldwyn. Liz Goldwyn was the assistant art director on Supernatural from 2006 to 2009. That's fantastic. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> That's a fantastic fun fact. Uh, typically, the episode titles are simply translated into foreign languages. This episode had unique titles in a number of territories. In Germany's, it was called Witch Magic. In Brazil, it was called Black Art. In Hungary, it was called Fatal Witches. And in France, it was called Le Queens de Sabbath, which loosely translated means the Sabbath's Queens. That's right. Uh, which is one of my favorite bands from the 70s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so good. I, I like all of those titles better than Maleficent Malsancarium. Well, there's a reason for that. You can't say that one. True. Oh, Robert, will you ever learn? End of sitcom. Roll credits. Listen, as with all these episodes, it doesn't really matter what we thought of them. It was certainly fun to talk about them. But it wasn't bad either. It was good. It wasn't, you know, what are you going to do? Again, 300 and something episodes. Not all of them can be... Gold watches, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Kenny, or Kenny Loggins. Or Stapleton's. By the way, Stapleton, singing that national anthem. Oh, man. Have you ever been more American than during those few minutes of him singing the national anthem with a drop D Telecaster playing his own music on a guitar while singing the national anthem? There's this, there's not a cooler man on the planet, I tell you. Now, for those of you who may not have put it all together, Richard's perfect beard, Chris Stapleton, sang the national anthem at the Super Bowl, which... Uh, was a week ago from when we we're uh, recording this, and uh, he just he, he killed it. He did such it's such so beautiful, and uh, he's Plays he's amazing. Guitar and just so look it up on the YouTube and go. Ah, oh, so that's the beard. Yeah, watch watch that video and and feel either feel very American or sort of look at a guy if you're not American and look at a guy and go, wow, that man is America. That's right. And while you're at it, look up the Village People. And, and check, check out, out Rob's favorite mustache. That's right. And we will see you on the next episode of Supernatural Then and Now. Supernatural Then and Mustache. This episode of Supernatural features Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester and Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester. Guest stars included Katie Cassidy, Marissa Ramirez, Aaron Cahill, Kristen Booth, and Rebecca Reichart. Malleus Maleficarum was written by Ben Edlund and directed by Robert Singer. Editing by David Ekstrom, music by Christopher Leonards. Executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. The original broadcast of this episode featured the following songs. Every Rose Has Its Thorns by Poison. And I Put a Spell on You by Screamin' Jay Hawkins. This episode originally aired on January 31st, 2008. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spade Jr. and Rob Benedict. 
produced by Stephen Hine, written by Stephen Hine and Ada Holscher. And edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. What's up, Booty? Music provided by Tim Wynn. The episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. This podcast is from Story Mill Media. Follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter, pretty please, at SPN Then and Now. And become a member of the podcast at patreon.com slash SPN Then and Now. Now, you ready for an update? The Timothy Beach Honestly, I cannot wait. All right, here we go. It's time for our Timothy B. Schmidt Minute. B stands for Bewitched. I'm kidding. It stands for Bruce. Born October 30th in 1947, he's an American musician, singer, and songwriter. He's performed as the bassist and vocalist for Poco and the Eagles. Notably not. (laughs) Close. Progo Harem. Right, so I was very wrong about that. But I was right about the fact that, you know, he's a bass player. I can't say I could name you a Procol Harum song. I don't know them that well. But for some reason, I think that Timothy B. Schmidt, before he was bass player for the the Eagles, Eagles. was in Procol Harum. Okay. When Randy Meisner quit the Eagles, I'm pretty sure they... Called it Procol Harum? They cherry-picked Timothy from uh, Procol Harum. I'm going to look that right now while you uh, do something else. Well, I'm going to read you this next fun fact, which is that... And you go, which neighbor? And he goes, that neighbor. You're like, yeah, which neighbor? No, that neighbor. The brothers go to visit her. And Rob Benedict's showing up big time on this one, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you can't write that. And if you did, you just hit delete right after you wrote it because you would think it won't work. But Rob makes it work. That's what I'm talking about. Even when he says Dean hates witches, after, after his really solid witch bait joke, you can't hear Dean hates witches and not assume that Rob means Dean hates people named... <laughs> Which? Wait, you didn't hear me earlier when I said a witch spate junior. That's spate junior. <laughs> I didn't miss that. Oh, you're on fire. Story Bell Media. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.